Well, good morning. Good to see everybody on a beautiful Sunday morning. And we are working our way through John's gospel. And uh, here's, here's where we are. Jesus has uh, had the Last Supper with the disciples where he washed their feet. And then he, he told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no way. Then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays. And then the army comes. They're going to accost Jesus. And Peter pulls out his sword. And he takes a swing at a soldier. And he chops off his ear. And Jesus says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me to drink? The cup of wrath. He's arrested and brought uh, to a series of different trials, but the first one is at the house of a man named Annas, who was the high priest, but he's really kind of the godfather behind uh, all the other high priests. He had five sons uh, who followed in his path as high priests, and now his son-in-law, Caiaphas, is the high priest. And here's what happens as Jesus is brought into his house. Simon Peter followed Jesus. So did another disciple, since that disciple was known to the high priest, and most of the commentators would say that that is John himself, because he knows this inside information. He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. I don't know the rest. Oh, there we go. And, and, and here, see, we lost it again. Oh. Okay. Uh, verse 17 Am I in, is this, click, click on the, uh, the icons in the, in the left. Yeah, go ahead. We'll go back. All right. So uh, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. And now we skip to verse 24. In between, Jesus is put on trial and as they're questioning him, somebody hauls off and smacks him in the face. Meanwhile, in the courtyard, okay, uh, well, Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon, Peter, was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, 
You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. In Luke's gospel it said, And Jesus turned and looked at Peter, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Um, what, uh, what spirit would be best to receive this message this morning? Uh, I would ask that we would have a spirit of humility. Um, not a spirit of, how could Peter do this? But if Peter could do this, what about me? All right, so let me pray for us. Lord, as we look at Peter, a man totally devoted to you, we see that he can go from high commitment to denying you in a short amount of time. So Lord, I pray that you would warn us and that you would equip us to be able to follow you, teach us things through Peter's example. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, picked this as a little banner. Um, it's a weather vane. And I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of weather vanes have a rooster uh, on top. Do you know why? It's because of the rooster in this passage. Pope Nicholas in the ninth century decreed that all churches must display a rooster on their steeples. So a lot of them got weather vanes and they would put a rooster on the weather vane. It started in churches and now it's moved to barns and to, to homes. Um, but that's the rooster that cock-a-doodle-dood um, that fateful night when Peter denied Jesus. So... Um, Here's, here's how I, I want to handle this passage today. You know, that when you talk about meditating on Scripture, meditating on Scripture is when you, you ask, what's the point? And then how does it apply to me? And as I meditated all week long, I have seven lessons that we can learn, seven hard lessons learned from Peter. So go ahead. First, we are capable of going from great faithfulness to great sinfulness within moments. Okay. In the Old Testament, there were 42 kings. First one was Saul. Here's, now, here's, here's the multi-donut question. Who is the last king? Moody Bible people. <laughs> Fred? I don't <laughs> Zedekiah. Last king. All right. So 42 kings. Five were good kings. Five were okay kings. 
32 were evil kings. David becomes the standard by which all the kings get judged. Right? For example, one of the okay kings, it says this, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not like David his father. So David becomes the standard by which everybody gets judged. So David was the best of the best, a man after God's own heart, until one night, sun is setting. It says he arose from his couch. He was taking a nap, probably. And his palace overlooked all of Jerusalem. So he had the highest vantage point. And as he's looking at the beautiful sun, his eyes fall upon the rooftop of a lady, a beautiful lady, who was bathing. Now, he should have looked away, but he looked, and he looked, and his look turned to lust, and his lust turned to sleeping with her, and his sleeping with her led to him murdering her husband, Uriah. Moses killed an Egyptian. Abraham tossed Sarah under the bus twice. Joseph's 11 brothers were going to kill Joseph, but then they decide, let's do the, the noble thing. Let's just sell him as a slave. Jacob swindles his brother Esau out of his birthright and his blessing, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus three times. You know, one, one argument that the Bible is true, and not just a bunch of made-up myths and stories, is that even the heroes have fatal flaws. Right? Why put all this garbage in there about their lives? Well, because even the heroes are great sinners. So here's the application for us. If David, Moses, Abraham, Jacob, and Peter can sin so quickly and deeply, how much more do we need to be aware of our own ability to do the same? I don't think the story of Peter should disgust us. I think it should terrify us. Which leads us to point number two. Pride goes before a fall. If, if you say, oh, point number one, pff, I've got that covered. I don't need to fear. Then we're in spiritual danger. right? So let's look, take a look at, at when Jesus announces to Peter that he's going to betray him. It says, then Jesus said to them, all the apostles... You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's a prophecy from the prophet Zechariah. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. He is setting himself apart. 
All these other hoodlums made fall away, not this guy. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, thank you for warning me, Lord. I take that. I'm, I'm so sorry. What can I do to avoid? No. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. You're wrong, Jesus. I would never deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, they all said the same. But Peter sets himself apart, though they all fall away because of you. I never, I will never fall away. Pride is a sneaky thing. Because Peter's pride was not like the pride of the Pharisees. The, the, the Pharisees' pride said, I'm righteous. I don't need a savior. Peter, on the other hand, said, I need a savior. Jesus is my savior. I love Jesus with all my heart. In fact, I love Jesus so much, I'm superior to others. See how sneaky pride is? I need a savior. I love my savior. I love my savior more than you. Even our love for Jesus, a good thing, can turn into spiritual arrogance. In uh, C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, it's one demon writing to another demon, and this one demon has been assigned to a human. See if you can get your patient, the human being, to be proud about his own efforts at humility. You ever know somebody who's proud about their own humility? It's very weird. Okay. Gavin Ortland says this, gospel-centered humility is ultimately self-forgetfulness leading to joy. Self-forgetfulness leading to joy. And a good acid test is to, uh, to ask is... Is humility leading me to joy? Is what I'm pursuing leading me to joy? Not, I'm, I'm humble, I'm humble. Oh, look how humble I am. No, it, it doesn't think about yourself. Don't turn your humility into a reason for pride. Peter thought he was pretty, pretty hot. Pride goes before a fall. Okay? Number three, third lesson. Mountaintop experiences can't sustain. This is especially true for Peter because of all the the apostles, I think he probably had the most mountaintop experiences with Jesus. Right? Um, When the storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee and they're all in the boat and Jesus is walking on the water, what does Peter do? He goes, I want to walk on the water. And he gets out of the boat and he walks on the water and he stumbles, right? And Jesus rescues him. But at least he got out of the boat. Right? There, well, imagine that the rest of your life. I walked on the water with Jesus. And it wasn't the ice. No, it was the middle of summer. 
He walked down the water. Once Jesus says, so how, who do people say I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet. Some say, who do you say I am? Peter goes, oh, whoa, oh, oh, oh. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you didn't speak that on your own. You spoke from God. Divine revelation comes out of Peter's mouth, right? But then probably the pinnacle is when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain and Jesus reveals his glory to them. And it says his face shone like the sun. So they have literally been to the mountaintop and seen the glory of Jesus revealed. Now, there is nothing wrong with mountaintop experiences. In fact, I, I don't know if you've, you've heard that uh, at Asbury College in Kentucky, um, there may be a, a revival going on. Two weeks ago in a chapel service at the college, it was supposed to end at 11. It's still going on right now. And people are traveling. Now, it may be genuine. It's, it's interesting. There are those who are automatically skeptical of it. And there are those who are automatically saying, this has got to be real. Um, I hope it's real. Okay. But here, here's the thing. Even if it is real, mountaintop experiences can't sustain you. Long time ago, Chuck Swindoll, I remember this sermon, and he read an illustration. He read a paragraph called My Experience. And since then, I've tried to find it. I've got a book by him. I've Googled it, and I just can't find it. So I've tried to rewrite this paragraph. This is not mine, but it's my kind of reconstruction of this illustration, okay? So a man writes, Many years ago, I had a wonderful experience with God. Over the years, whenever people have given testimonies of how God is working in their lives, I always bring up my experience. When others tell of their current answers to prayer and encounters with God, recalling my experience always seems to top whatever they have to say. A while back, I wrote down my experience, and I keep it in my desk drawer. Even though my experience has turned yellow and brittle, at least I know where to find it. I can't say I've ever had another experience with God like my experience, but I am sure glad I had my experience. If you ever want to hear about my experience, I'll be glad to tell you about it. What's that? Oh, you've already heard me tell you about my experience. Several times? Well, I guess I don't have anything more to say, but what an experience. Nothing wrong with the mountaintop experience. But what about today? Okay. Number four. It's easy to be brave when Jesus makes sense. You know, up until the arrest in the garden, following Jesus made perfect sense in Peter's mind. 
I mean, Jesus, he just killed it on the Sermon on the Mount. Masses came in and they listened to him. Jesus did unbelievable miracles. He healed people. He put the Pharisees in their place. And on Palm Sunday, a huge crowd welcomed him and cheered for him like he'd won the Super Bowl on Palm Sunday. All that's left now is the revolution. The crowds are going to side with Jesus, will take control of the reins of power, and usher in the millennium. It's all going just as scheduled. In the army, or in the, the garden, the army approaches, and Peter thinks, this is the moment. And he pulls out his sword, takes a swing. Now, he was going for Malchus's head, not his ear, but he missed. And he slices off a guy's ear. And Peter's thinking, it's on! And Jesus says, put your sword away. At, the, at that moment, you could, you know, if it was a movie, doo, 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 what? Put my sword away. And then they bind Jesus and arrest him and take him away. I, I think Peter's whole world was shattered right then. After three years, it all falls apart. It makes no sense. So Peter falls apart. You ever notice this when, when something bad happens, you get discouraged, and then it, it seems like it just all unravels to the point where Peter says, I'm not so sure I can identify with Jesus. I, I, am I with him? No, I, I'm not with him. You know, I, I compare Peter to the women who followed Jesus to the foot of the cross, to the tomb, they knew where the tomb was, and then they showed up first thing Sunday morning to anoint his body with spices and oil. I'm sure this whole thing made no more sense to them than to Peter. But they stayed faithful to Jesus even when life made no sense and Jesus made no sense. Okay. Number five. It's easy to be brave in a friendly environment. You know, it is easy to be a brave Christian at church. Or in your small group. Or at a Christian college. Or in the pulpit. I can be really brave up here. Right? Or behind the keyboard. You can, people find a lot of courage behind a keyboard. Right? But an amazing thing happens when you step out of friendly territory into hostile territory. You know, um, you hear of all these college-age students um, deconstructing and becoming ex-evangelicals and um, 
my, my theory is when they go away to college, it's not that the professor's arguments are so convincing. It's just the total environment goes against everything they've ever known and the peer pressure gets them. Right? Peer pressure isn't just for junior high. We are very susceptible to peer pressure. Let me show you another incident from the life of Peter. Um, here Paul is writing to the Galatians about an incident that happened between him and Peter. In fact, let's go to the next slide and then we'll go back. So Paul uh, is, is writing about the time when he was up in the church of Antioch, okay? And Peter joins them. And when Peter is at Antioch, he used to eat with Gentiles, Gentile believers. So if there's a ham sandwich, he would eat it. Bacon, eat it. But then some people from, he says, from James, from Jerusalem, these were, these were Judaizers, they came to Antioch, and they said, hey, 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 we got to keep the laws, we got to keep the kosher laws. And what Peter did was he was intimidated by these guys, and he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He would only eat with the Jews. So go back. But when Cephas, that's another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. I, I got in his face. For before certain men came from James, came from Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they, they came and started talking, right, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Um, if you've ever been to a circumcision party, it's no fun. But it's a, uh, that's a joke. Um, the circumcision party were Judaizers who said, you, you Gentiles, you can't get in that easy. You got to get circumcised. You got to keep all the food laws. You got to keep all the festivals and so forth. Right? And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter, one day you're eating with the Gentiles. The next day you have some people who have a different position. And all of a sudden you start siding with these other people. So even this peer pressure thing, it works outside of the church, but it works inside the church too. Okay? But it's easy to be brave in friendly territory. We, uh, this week we're going to go to a conference, um, and it's Carl Truman. He's the guy who wrote a book on um, how have we gotten to a point in our society today when somebody can say, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body or I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, and society just goes, oh, okay. 
goes, what, what has happened philosophically uh, and culturally that we're at that point today where a statement like that can be made? So he's written a pretty heavy-duty book, but it's a, it's a conference on how does this whole mindset today affect the church, right? Because it does affect the church, right? It does affect children's ministry. So it'd be interesting, um, how do you stay faithful? You go, oh, I would never give into that. How do you stay faithful when the rest of the culture uh, has moved way far away from where you are? Okay. But the, the simple point today is just realize it's easy to be brave in certain environments, not in others. Okay. The flesh is weak. So let's take a look at, we'll go back to the garden. So they're in the garden, and he came and found them sleeping. So Jesus is off praying. And he told Peter, James, and John, you pray for me, all right? Pray for yourself. He found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, these words, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think it's saying something rather simple. Don't read too much into it. It's just a simple statement. Notice this, the, the spirit here is not capitalized. So um, I think this, this is simply saying this. We as human beings have a spiritual side and a physical side. And they're united. When the body, okay, the flesh is weak, tired, sick, infirmed, it affects you spiritually. The, the spirit can say, I would never betray Jesus. But that's really hard to live up to when you're, you're dozing off, as some of you are right now. Give, give your neighbor a nudge, right? Um, I don't know about you, but when I'm sick, that's when the fruit of the Spirit seems to go out the window, right there. <laughs> um, so, so I don't know what Peter could have done about this, maybe a cup of coffee or, 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 or what, but what we can do is take it as a warning Let's take care of our bodies as a spiritual discipline because the body and the spirit are united together. Okay? Last thing. Peter's night 
was a temporary fallback. Judas night was a continuing step forward. In other words, the difference between Peter and Judas is this. One was a genuine believer. The other one wasn't a believer. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, was an unbeliever acting the way unbelievers act. Of course, if I can make some fast cash off of this Christianity thing, why not? That's how unbelievers act. His betrayal wasn't a stumbling back. It was just a move forward on the same trajectory of his entire life. Peter, on the other hand, truly did love Jesus with all his heart. And his proclamation that I would never deny you truly was what was on his heart. His denial was a stumbling back that night from his lifelong trajectory. So, final question. What's the trajectory of your life? Is it more like Peter or more like Judas? Not are you perfect. Peter wasn't perfect. Rather, are you decisively for Jesus, right? So let's pray. Lord, we know that we are capable of, of going from great faithfulness to great sinfulness. Thank you for this reminder from Peter. If we have spiritual pride, Lord, show it to us so we can repent of it. Lord, if we're relying on past mountaintop experiences, those are great. But renew us, revive us today. Lord, make us brave, not only when we're with Christians, but when we are in hostile environments. And Lord, remind us that the flesh is weak, so we should take care of ourselves. And then, Lord, I pray for those of us who may have stumbled as Peter has stumbled. You warned him, he fell, and then you restored him. So, Lord, I pray that you would do your work of restoration. Remind us of your grace. Remind us of the cross. And may we brush ourselves off, get up, and keep following you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.